The sermon today is called Obedient Preacher Plus Obedient Congregation Equals Blessing. It's based on Acts chapter 10, verses 34 to 48. And I just want to remind you of what I've said before, that some wonderful things happen when an obedient preacher preaches the word of God to an obedient congregation. And I trust that I'm obedient to the Lord in these moments, and you will be obedient to the Lord as you hear the biblical challenge. Acts chapter 10, 34 to 48 says the following. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceived that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all the things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. Verse 42. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and of the dead. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive the remission of sins. Verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, and then they asked him to stay a few days. Peter was the obedient preacher, and those surrounding Cornelius' home were the obedient congregation. And when you have an obedient preacher and an obedient congregation, you have good blessing that comes your way. If you let your eye go forward into Acts chapter 11, you'll see another way that this blessing was reported. Acts 11 verse 15. And as I began to speak, this is Peter reporting, and as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. So we have to ask, who was the us that Peter was talking about? And those were the Jewish believer followers of Christ who huddled together in Jerusalem after Christ's ascension back to heaven, waiting for the Holy Spirit to be given them. And what was at the beginning? It says in 11.15, And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. What is he referring to as at the beginning? Well, he was referring to the beginning, the birth of the church. 
And Acts 11.15 is referring back to what happened in Acts 2, verses 1 to 12. To refresh our memories, let's see what happened at the time of the birth of the church. Acts 2, 1 through 12. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit, capital S, gave them utterance. Verse 5. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Verse 12. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? And so the obedient preacher, Peter, preached to the obedient congregation of Gentiles that Cornelius had rounded up to be together to hear the sermon. And he hearkened back to the day of Pentecost blessings when the the church of Jesus Christ was born. And remember, the big idea of this particular sermon that I want you to carry away in your purse or in your wallet, what I want you to walk away from this particular sermon with is this truth. Something truly wonderful happens whenever an obedient preacher preaches to an obedient congregation. And as I've been saying, the obedient preacher was Peter, and the obedient congregation was Cornelius and his family and his friends. And what was the truly wonderful things that happened when the obedient preacher, Peter, preached to the obedient congregation put together by Cornelius? What were the blessings? Well, the verses tell us. Number one, the Gentiles believed on Jesus and were saved. That's verses 34 to 35. The Holy Spirit fell upon these new Gentile converts. That's verse 44, the new Gentile believers were baptized by the Holy Spirit. That's verse 45. The new Gentile believers spoke in tongues. That's verse 46. The new Gentile believers were water baptized. That's verses 47 and 48. And the blessing of the gospel, the conversion and the advancement of the young baby church had moved into Gentile country. That's verses 47 to 48. Now, for another perspective on the same blessings, why don't we go to Acts chapter 11 again and look at verse 15 to 18. Acts 11, 15 to 18. Peter's reporting in another context what happened when he preached at Cornelius' house. Verse 15 to 18, Acts 11. And as I began to speak... 
The Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? You could also translate it, stand in the way of God. What a powerful praise report. Almost like Niagara Falls, all that huge volume of water falling over Niagara Falls, blessing cascading on blessing like Niagara Falls, the blessings of Gentiles, blessings of the Holy Spirit falling, blessings of them being baptized in the Holy Spirit, blessings of being them speaking in tongues, blessings of them being commanded to be water baptized, and blessings that the Christian flag was planted in Gentile country, blessing after blessing after blessing, like Niagara Falls cascading upon each other. Let's take these one by one, because remember, what we're seeing in the text is that an obedient preacher preaching to an obedient congregation sees God bless in powerful ways. You might like to say, just like lime goes with fish, and just like gasoline goes with engines, obedient preachers are to go with obedient congregations. So let's take these blessings apart one by one. First of all, just a simple word, Gentiles. The church began with only Jews. But that was not God's ultimate plan for the church. God always intended for the church to be all believing persons of all ethnicities, of all races, of all backgrounds. That was always God's ultimate plan for his church, his body and his bride. And so when you take the trip with the scriptures to see what the apostle John saw on the Isle of Patmos, where the Holy Spirit led him in to see what it's all going to turn out like in heaven, this is what John saw, Revelation 7, 9 through 12. John is writing under inspiration. After these things, I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb, that's Jesus Christ, clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And so when John had the incredible gift that the Spirit of God allowed him to write scripture about how it's all going to end and what heaven's going to be like, John saw that Gentiles as well as Jews, believing Gentiles, Jews, and every other ethnicity and race will be at that beautiful, praising time of the Lamb who sits on the throne. So that's the Gentile blessing. 
Second, the Holy Spirit fell. You do know that in Old Testament times, the Holy Spirit only visited believers. He didn't live in believers yet. In the Old Testament time, if there was a believer in God who did an exploit for God that brought glory to God, it was because the Holy Spirit of God visited that believer, David, when he fought Goliath. And then when he fell into the sins of adultery and murder as king, he prayed, and it was a credible, pertinent prayer, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. That's not a prayer that we need to pray in the New Testament. We need to confess our sins when we sin in the New Testament time, the church age, but we never have to ask God not to take away the Holy Spirit from us because he comes to indwell us permanently at conversion, and we cannot evict him. We can grieve him, but we cannot evict him. And so in these wonderful church age times, And at the beginning of the church age that we're reading about in Acts 10 and 11, the Holy Spirit fell on believers, Jews and Gentile believers in Christ, and he indwelt them permanently for the first time in human history that God the Holy Spirit came to live inside believers. And so the Holy Spirit falling in Acts 10 and 11 was a big blessing. But the third blessing was that these who the Holy Spirit fell on were baptized by the Holy Spirit. Now, baptized comes from the verb baptizo, and all it means is to place into. So in some sense, I'm baptizing my right hand and placing it into my suit coat. That's all that baptism means, to place into. There are two kinds of varieties of baptism in the New Testament. There's Holy Spirit baptized when the believer at conversion is placed into Jesus Christ and into Jesus Christ's family, the church. Happens automatically at conversion. It happens invisibly. And so that's why God gives us the ordinance of water baptism. Because water baptism makes visible what's already happened in a believer invisibly. And if Holy Spirit baptism is the placement of the believer in Christ at his or her conversion into Christ and into the church. That's automatic. But requesting water baptism that I'm urging you to request if you're not yet water baptized, that is a volitional choice. That's a request. And so in Romans 6, verses 1 to 4, this is what it says. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus, that spirit baptism at conversion, as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Watch my hands. If this is Jesus Christ and this is you who believe in him for salvation, when the Holy Spirit baptized you into Christ automatically, invisibly, immediately at the point of your conversion, the Holy Spirit put you into Christ in a forensic spiritual union, never to be broken apart. And so you see how many times in the New Testament it talks about in Christ this, in Christ that. And so when you've been placed into Christ by Holy Spirit baptism at the point of conversion, everything that happened to Jesus happened to you. He was crucified. The old you was crucified with him. 
He was buried, the old you was buried with Christ. He was raised to newness of life and resurrection. You've been raised to newness of life in resurrection, Christ's resurrection. Because he's your Lord, he's your savior, he's your identity, he's your life. And so it says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, a very interesting thing. For by one spirit, capital S, we were all baptized into one body. You cannot say that you're a born-again Christian and you're unspirit baptized. You can't say it. It's not theologically true or possible. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all, again, been made to drink of the spirit. Look at it this way. It's like the Holy Spirit's blessing of baptism and infilling is like the water gushing out of a fire hydrant. And the Holy Spirit, at the points of your conversions, puts you, as it were, in front of that fire hydrant, and you've been drinking of the Holy Spirit ever since. It's automatic, it's immediate, it's permanent. We don't have to be asked to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Some believers believe that, but the Bible doesn't teach that. So these blessings like Niagara Falls, Gentiles, Holy Spirit fell, Baptized by the Holy Spirit. Fourth, spoken tongues. I've taught you about this. The word tongues in the Greek of the New Testament is glossolalia. Easy for me to say. <laughs> glossolalia. And glossolalia is something very specific. There's a dictionary meaning for the Koine Greek word glossolalia. And this is the meaning. To speak known languages that were previously unknown to the speaker. That's tongues. Tongues are not gibberish. Tongues are not unintelligible speech. Tongues are not some angelic language that nobody understands. Tongues are known languages that by the Holy Spirit's miracle People can speak fluently without having known those languages before the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. It would be like if there was a Korean person in this congregation not understanding a word of English that I'm preaching and suddenly the Holy Spirit gave me the gift of speaking fluent Korean. If there were two Koreans in this congregation, one could stand up and say, what the pastor just said to us was thus, thus and so, because they heard Korean. Not gibberish or unintelligible speech. They heard Korean. I never spoke Korean before that moment. That's tongues. Known languages that suddenly were spoken by Holy Spirit blessing by persons who never knew those languages. Why would God give that gift in the New Testament birthing time, toddlerhood of the church. Easy. So that the church of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ could exponentially spread from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, and to the remotest parts of the earth because language was not a barrier. And if you study through the book of Acts, 
you'll see that every time that tongues are referenced, including this time, it's when the ripple effect of the church expanding from Jerusalem moved from Jerusalem to Judea, tongues, from Judea to Samaria, tongues, from Samaria to the furthest corners of the earth, tongues. That's how it works. And because our Bibles are complete now, we don't expect to speak in tongues. It was a sign gift for the birthing and toddlerhood of the church. But back there, it was appropriate because the gospel and the church was getting for the first time out of Judea into Samaria. (laughs) And so God gave the gift of tongues. The fifth blessing that we see in the verses is that the believers, the Gentile believers, Cornelius and his family and friends, they were commanded to be baptized with water. Uh, Water baptism, you do know, is a commandment. It's not a suggestion. God doesn't say to the believer, if you aren't afraid of water, be baptized. Or if it fits your schedule, be water baptized. Or if it pleases your husband, be water baptized. No, God says be water baptized as an outward expression of an inner faith. A making visible of what's already happened to you invisibly. As a putting a stake in the sand that from now on, I'm publicly following Christ no matter what. Every soldier in an army wears a uniform. Every married person says wedding vows and then wears a wedding ring. Every business that changes hands puts up a sign under new management. When a born-again Christian refuses to be water baptized, they're a soldier who refuses to wear the uniform. They're a married person who refuses to wear a wedding ring. They're a shop that refuses to post that they're under new management. Don't let that be you. Water baptism is like a doctor's prescribed dosage of drug. He's commanding you to take it. He's not suggesting that you take the medicine. Last blessing, at least from these verses, is that they got to Gentile country. They moved out of Jerusalem. They moved out of Judea. They moved into Samaria. They got into Gentile country. Of course, that movement out of Jerusalem was predicted by the theme verse of the whole book of Acts 1.8. You shall receive power. Why or how? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Why? And you shall be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And as you trace the reporting of the first 60 years of the church's existence in the book of Acts, it moved from, the church moved from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria. That's where we're at in the story right now in Acts 10 and 11. And then eventually to the ends of the earth. Remember the big idea of this message is when you have an obedient preacher and you add him to an obedient congregation, then you have a Niagara Falls of God's blessing, no matter what era we're talking about. I want you to picture a super calm sea, no waves, super calm. And I want you to imagine me throwing a big rock into the sea. Splash. And then, as you know, what would happen is that ripples 
would go out as concentric circles from the splash point away from it, far away in the calm waters. The day of Pentecost was God dropping the boulder of the Holy Spirit to mark the birth of the church as a splash point. And the ripples from that miracle went out first to Jerusalem, the splash point, then to Judea, then to Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And so the baby church had the splash point of Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost and the giving of the Holy Spirit. That was the splash point of the church. And the ripples of the gospel went out from the splash point of Jerusalem, first to all Judea, and then to all Samaria, and then to the end of the earth. That's what happened back behind us in time. But you know what? It's still happening right now for each of you and me. What do I mean? For the sake of an illustration, can you imagine that there's a believer sitting in this worship service, and that particular believer trusted Christ to be his Lord and Savior in 1982. We're in 2022, so that would mean that hypothetical Christian would be 40 years in Christ. 40 years old in Christ, okay? His splash point would have been in 1982. Splash! And then God gave him the responsibility and the privilege of being a witness with the gospel to the lost world. And so the question becomes for this believer who was saved in 1982 is how far out has the ripple of the gospel and his witnessing gone in 40 years? How far out? I mean, it was a... It was a magnificent splash. In 1982, when he trusted Jesus Christ to be his savior, it was a a far-reaching splash. I mean, he was regenerated. He was justified. He was given the imputed righteousness of Christ. He was Holy Spirit baptized. Splash. He was spirit indwelt. The same splash. He started the process of sanctification. He became a new creation in Christ, beginning to walk in the Holy Spirit, beginning to know the fruit of the Spirit being produced on the branches of his life. Splash, same splash, beginning on finding and doing the particular good works that God prepared beforehand that he would do. The same splash, being sovereignly given at least one spiritual gift, beginning of a personal prayer life, beginning a, a clear conscience with God pattern, moving toward believers, baptism, splash, what a splash, meaningfully participating in the Lord's Supper, having a new sensitivity to personal sin and to surrounding sin, splash, beginning to have consistent victory over once besetting sins, having a new appetite for the word and for Christian fellowship, a burden for lost persons to be saved. What a splash it was in 1982 for this brother. What a splash. Having an interest in world missions and evangelization and disciple making. Splash, a new desire to be conformed to the image of Christ, a new involvement in becoming a disciple or follower of Jesus Christ. What a splash it was. And here we are 40 years later. 40 years past the splash for this brother. How far has his gospel witness rippled out from the splash point? How far is his gospel witness still rippling out 40 years later? Let me ask you, because I asked me (laughs) 
this week, let me ask you, how far has your Christian witness of the gospel gone out from your individual splash point? Has your witness of the gospel gone beyond your splash point to your Jerusalem? Your Jerusalem is the easiest persons you know to evangelize. The low-hanging fruit, humble persons who are searching for spiritual answers. Your Jerusalem people are persons who are aware of their own sins. Persons that you know who are at a loss in some crisis, low-hanging fruit. Persons you've already loved with Jesus' love. When we were living in Dallas, we were in subsidized housing. And our next-door neighbors moved in from Eritrea, North Africa, a place of hotbed of Christian persecution of Christians in the church now. These Eritrean neighbors moved in. And we just started loving them, taking them food, showing them how to cook or to buy groceries, having them in for meals. With that love history with them, it was low-hanging fruit. It was Jerusalem people to talk about the gospel and to share how they get to heaven and they trusted Jesus to be their savior. They were our Jerusalem people. It's surprising to me as a pastor when I work with God's people, God's people, how few of God's people have even witnessed to the low-hanging fruit Jerusalem people in their lives. Have you witnessed, has the ripple gone out to your Judea people? Judean people are somewhat difficult to reach lost people. They are friends and they are your acquaintances who think that they are religiously okay. They are the self-righteous. They are the persons who have been taught by their parents and their churches that there's a works basis to salvation. Your Judean people were people who once were in a church, maybe this church, but they've stopped attending for a variety of reasons. When we were in our first pastorate, there was a Roman Catholic school. In Canada, there's two separate school boards, a Protestant school board and a Roman Catholic school board. And in this little town, 5,000 people, the Roman Catholic school, elementary school, needed substitute teachers. So Beth is a certified primary school teacher, so she applied. She was hired. They knew she was a Protestant. She knew they were Catholics. At the Christmas staff dinners, the principal asked me to pray. He called me Father Elliot once. (laughs) But as I prayed, before the Christmas meal of all the staff at this Roman Catholic school, I I prayed the gospel. Briefly, less than a minute. That we're saved and justified by faith in Jesus Christ alone and not church rites or rituals. That was a Judean witnessing situation for us. Has your ripple gone to your Judea? The somewhat difficult persons to reach. Or what about to your Samaria? Samaria, I would submit, are difficult lost persons to reach. These would be your close relatives, your antagonistic contacts, persons who are angry with God over something. Persons who have been hurt by a church or by a Christian. 
Persons who are sailing along in life, on the other hand, without too many problems. These are Samaritan witnessing opportunities. Strangers you meet every day. When I think about sharing Christ to my Samaritan people and my ripple for the gospel going to Samaria, my personal Samaria, I think of a person that I care about who when I shared the gospel with him, he said, well, that's for people who are weak and have problems in life and I'm rich and I have no problems in life. What do you do with that? So I said, you know, when I do a funeral, I either say over the casket truth that means they're resting in peace or I say over the casket truth that they're not resting in peace. And the dimensions of every grave are the same whether you're very rich or you're a pauper. And then I went into the gospel again. He was a person in my Samaria, a difficult lost person to reach, but I still could share the gospel. What about your ends of the earth. (laughs) What about the people that you know that are very difficult lost persons to reach? Has your ripple gone out to them at all? Or have you written them off? Some very difficult persons to reach. They're the self-sufficient. They're the wealthy. They're the proud. They're the agnostic who doubts God's existence. They're the atheist who says God does not exist. They are persons who deny the inspiration and authority of the Bible. They are persons bound up in cults and satanic worship and witchcraft. First pastor that I was in, there were two funeral homes in a little town. And one was owned by a funeral director who was a universalist. He believes, I think he's gone now, too old to be still alive. He believed that everybody goes to heaven. And when he heard me preach my first funeral in his funeral home's chapel, and I gave the way of salvation based on John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. After this owner of the funeral home, the universalist, heard me preach, this is what he could manage. This is all he could manage. You're very sincere. You're very sincere. I kept praying for him and I kept seeking to share the gospel. The church I pastored in Pennsylvania had a very interesting situation before I arrived. Some media person came to a funeral at the building of the church that I was coming to pastor eventually. And that person, the media person at the funeral was in the lobby of the church looking at the tracks. And there was a track rack, and one of the tracks was titled, What About Muslims? And so the media person read the track, and the track basically said that Muslims need Christ, and we should share the gospel with Muslims. This made the media person irate. And so they talked to someone who talked to someone who talked to someone who talked to someone, and CNN came to that church to interview the pastor before me about it. CNN. (laughs) 
And the pastor before me said a few things. Then he left, and I got called to be the pastor that succeeded him. And for some reason, the search committee wanted to ask me, what would you have said to the CNN reporter if you had been asked, what about our church's hateful view on, the, on Muslims? I hadn't studied for that question. So I said, well, first thing I would have said is that if you have an argument with Muslims needing Christ as Savior, your argument is with God, Jesus Christ, and not with me or this church. Because Jesus Christ said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I would have said that. And then I would have said, as a newly landed Canadian pastoring my first American congregation, I would have said, I told them, I would have said, just like the Congress and the Senate don't get to change the U.S. Constitution, I don't get to change Scripture. And this church doesn't get to change Scripture. You see, there's a way to witness Christ even with antagonistic, hateful, sinister people. They wanted, they put it on CNN so they could run down the Church of Jesus Christ and particularly Milford Bible Church in Milford, Pennsylvania. That was their agenda. But there's a way to share our faith even with antagonists and diabolical people that mean harm to Christ's church. When I said that ends of the earth persons include those bound by cults, we have cults on this island, I hope you realize that, persons bound by cults and Satan worship and witchcraft, you thought, well, maybe, Pastor, you're, getting, you're, you're overreaching here. I don't know about witchcraft. and, and uh, No? The first church I pastored, 5,000-person town, where the Universalist funeral director spoke to me. I got a call that a former attender of our church wanted me and the elder in their church to go to her apartment. So we went to her apartment, and she had all kinds of literature and videos about satanic worship. And she said, I worship Satan now. And she had pulled these things in the middle of her living room floor. And so I said, Angie, you are bound to a dangerous lie. Jesus Christ is the truth, the truth. And none of this is congruent with loving him and honoring him and pleasing him and quite the opposite. And then she pulled out all these, back then it was uh, DVDs, or not DVDs, uh, videos. She pulled out all these videos of pornography and piled them on the floor in the center of her apartment along with the witchcraft books and, vi and uh, videos. And there was a moment of truth. What was she going to do? Why had she called us to her house? Did she want to repent? Did she want to walk away from that? 
Did she want forgiveness from the Lord? Did she want to walk in his ways and found in his word? No, she didn't. She wanted to shock us. And so I sent the elder out to his car because I, I knew he had it. I said, bring in the largest trash bag you can bring. So he brought in a very big trash bag. And we put it on the floor in front of Angie and said, you throw into here everything you know is evil and you want no part of anymore. She picked up one book. We put it in. I said, anything else? There's a mound of stuff. There's a mound of stuff. Is anything else? She picked one video and reluctantly she put it in the bag. I said, is that it? Is that what you called us here for? To throw one booklet and one little video in a trash bag and walk away from one thing, two things? And so I quoted Matthew 7 that Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction and narrow is the way that leads to righteousness. And we walked out. It was one of the saddest times in my pastoral life that here she called us to her apartment but she didn't go through with repentance. As far as I know, she never did repent when I was in the little town. I hope she did after I left. But all I'm trying to say is, whenever your conversion was, the Holy Spirit put a rock in the calm sea around you. Splash. And ripples have been going out from that splash. But my question is, how far have the ripples gone out for you? To the low-hanging fruit? Jerusalem? To the somewhat difficult people? Judea? To the very difficult people? The ends of the earth. It's not too late to change. Because I hope you realize that every person you meet this week who's not a Christian, they are one of those things. They are a Jerusalem person, they are a Judea person, a Samaria person, or an end-of-the-earth person, and you don't know who they are until you talk to them. That's what's so motivating to me about being a witness for Jesus Christ. I don't know who I'm dealing with, but God knows who I'm dealing with, and God gives me the words I need to share with whomever. I'm not special. The same Holy Spirit lives in each of you. If he'll give me the words in the scriptures that I need to share my faith, he'll give them to you. He's got a vested interest in your ripples getting out to the ends of the earth. Let them. Let them. Let them. Oh God, our Heavenly Father, it's an amazing history to read of how the Church of Jesus Christ was birthed in Jerusalem and then went out to Judea and then to Gentile country of Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. And because it went out to the ends of the earth, we're sitting here as Bahamians who know Christ as Savior. If it didn't go to the ends of the earth, we wouldn't have heard the gospel. But thank you that we have. 
Lord, may this sermon be used of you in our lives that we would maximize the rippling effect of the gospel and the baptism of the Holy Spirit at our points of conversion, that we would maximize the spread of what we know to be true about you and what we know to be true about how to get to heaven. May the ripples go far. Forgive us when we haven't been that interested. Forgive us when we be disobedient. Forgive us when... Honestly, we've been quite content that somebody goes to hell. Forgive us, Lord Jesus. Motivate us, move us, empower us. Give us your love. Give us your help. That this would be a church that is known for sharing the gospel that even next Sunday there be brand new converts to Christ sitting in these pews because we have rippled the gospel to them this week. We ask these things not for the church's glory, not for the pastor's glory, but for the glory of the head of the church, the savior of the body, the Lord Jesus Christ. And his redeemed people said, Amen.